Good day to you. Hope you're having a wonderful day. We want to look at a question from the Bible. Now, this question is going to come from 1 Peter chapter 4. And the question is, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, this is not a rhetorical question. Matter of fact, none of these questions from the Bible, in my opinion, are rhetorical. They are to make us think, to make us look at and examine ourselves, and look to God for the answers. Look to Him who, who knows everything, who has that wisdom. So, here, Peter is talking about um, suffering for God's glory, but not for being sinful. Now, this is, again, in First Peter chapter 4. And then, Peter poses this question. And this is in First Peter chapter 4. Verses 17 and 18. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? So there's the question in verse 17, but let's read verse 18. Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Technically, two questions, but really, these are the same question. What will happen to those who do not follow the gospel, those who are ungodly? Now, notice that judgment is beginning with us Christians in the house of God, why is that? Because we need to be judging ourselves. We need to be cleaning up our act and being more and more Christianly like Jesus and less and less like our uh, ungodly selves, right? Like our old selves. So th- that is the idea. We're judging ourselves, cleaning up our act. We're not focused on judging other people. We're focused on helping other people. All right. But let's move on past that because that's not getting our our answer for our question. Again, the question is, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Okay, and we're talking about in the end. What's the end result? So, again, I have three answers for this. Biblical answers, not me. There's three biblical answers that I want us to look at. The first is this answer from Paul. Now, this is a long intro by Paul in in the, uh, let's see, it's 2 Thessalonians, and it's in chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 3 through 10. Now, it's a long intro, but we're going to break it down. But for context, I want you to be able to see the whole thing in context, and then we can focus on the details. It's important to see that whole context. So 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 3 through 10. This is his intro in the letter. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly, and the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other, so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. 
which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you also suffer. Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you, and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. Now, this is one of those famous things that I talk about with Paul, and this is coming from the uh, New King James Version. This is just a huge run-on long sentence. You could break this up into multiple sentences, but nonetheless, it's Paul giving this intro. Now, I want you to notice the first five verses are praising the congregation. You know, we're bound to thank God for you. You know, um, did I get that right in the first five verses? Let's see, one, two, three, four, five. Okay, so I'm really counting, I was accidentally counting the first couple of verses as well. So the couple of verses we didn't read, verse one and two. So nonetheless, though, you get the idea. Down through verse five, it's about praising the congregation, right? even in their persecutions and tribulations. In other words, even in all the trouble they're having, uh, this congregation is being persecuted locally where they live. Okay, so in verse 5, he mentions that they are persecuted for believing in Jesus for the kingdom. That's why they're being persecuted, because they are Christians. Then notice in verse 6, the focus changes to those who are unjustly persecuting God's people. It is righteous for God to repay those ungodly people. Verse 7 flips back to God's people getting rest. Then verses 8 and 9 tell of the final end of those who do not know God and do not follow the gospel. Both. Either situation suffers the same fate. If you claim to not know God, that will not be an excuse. Or, if you just do not follow the gospel, even if you claim to know God, that will not be an excuse. But notice what it says in verses 8 and 9. I want to read those to you in flaming fire taking vengeance. Now, this is when Jesus is revealed taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, these shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. So, they will be destroyed from, they will never be in the presence of the Lord. They will be destroyed from the presence of the Lord. They will be abolished and banished and, 
and destroyed. There is a destruction as well to this. We're going to see that in the other examples. But they shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence. In other words, they will actually be destroyed and they will never really get to be in the presence of the Lord. And when he returns, that's something that everyone is really going to wish they had and could could do. So our second answer is going to come from Revelation. Now this is in Revelation at Judgment Day. Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. And if you say Revelations, that's okay. We all do that sometimes. Because, because growing up, that's what we heard a lot, right? Revelations, but it's really revelation, okay? Now, there is some, there, I have heard someone say that there was actually a good reason for saying revelations at one point, and, and that's fine, too. It's, I just, I think it's kind of funny, because I will slip from time to time and say revelations. So, But Revelation, chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So, notice there are several books here. There is the book of life, but there's also other books. These books are the things we've done in this life. Notice the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. And then also notice, down below, anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. If we have been baptized into Christ, then we are in the book of life. Now, the other side of that coin is, if we have not been baptized into Christ, then we are not in the book of life. So that's that's the answer. You're either in the book of life and you go on to be with the Lord and God, or you're not in the book of life and you end up with the second death, the lake of fire. With the death in Hades, when they say Hades, a lot of times it can mean hell. It can also mean the realm of the dead, this is including death and Hades. So to me, um, this is including both. Both folks who are in what we might consider hell, a temporary place, um, before the lake of fire, before the second death, 
or it could be, again, you could call it the realm of the dead, but it has death here, so death implies, you know, death, those who are in death. Anyway, it's not really that important except just to note that um, this is going to affect everyone, whether you're alive when the Lord returns or if you're among the dead and you are brought forth to this judgment. This is what we refer to as Judgment Day. The books will be opened. These books will talk about what we've done in life. We will be judged according to that, but we will also be judged by are we in the Lamb's Book of Life? Have we been baptized into the Lord? If we have been baptized and we have lived a faithful life to Jesus, now faithful does not mean perfect by any means. Um, Only Jesus was perfect. He's our example and he's who we try to emulate and follow, but that doesn't mean we're perfect. So I don't want anyone to think that because you've made mistakes in your life that that somehow eliminates you, even, even though you've been baptized, it does not. Repent. Come to the Lord, repent, and be forgiven. If you've been baptized into Christ, if you haven't been baptized, definitely you want to get that done. But, you know, are we being faithful to call on Jesus and to repent and come to Him? Are we working every day to follow Him? How do we treat others? A big part of the Christian life is how do we treat others These are things we must ask ourselves and judge for ourselves, looking at ourselves, not looking at others. I can't judge your life in you. God can, the Lord can, but I cannot. So these are things we have to judge for ourselves. These determine if we are in the book of life. Now notice if we're not in the book of life, where do we end? The lake of fire, the second death. This is the fiery destruction that Paul was talking about. So I want us to be aware, there are books that show our works, and there is the book of life. And those are the things that we will be judged on. I can only imagine, or I kind of believe, okay, this is just my thought, this is just totally my thinking from the way this is said, that there, we're judged according to our works. So within the book of life, if we are in the book of life, if we believe in Christ and we've been baptized and we've followed him, then within that, we're still going to be judged a little bit based on our works in life. What's those works? How do we treat others? What do we do for others? How do we help others? That's what our works are. So we're going to move on to our third answer, our third biblical answer is actually in the form of a parable from the Lord. And I want us to see the whole parable because it's important that we understand. And let's see, did I leave out? um, No, I did not leave out any of the parable, I don't think. So, this is coming from Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. And this is that famous parable about Lazarus and the rich man. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. 
Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, now in this case, Hades actually does mean what we think of as hell, okay? I just want to be clear, it's still the realm of the dead in a way. But in this case, it is meant more of that idea of hell. You have to remember, in the Greek, um, Hades was their land of the dead. It also was their hell, because there were parts of Hades that were nothing. Very little of it was good. Most, most all of it was bad. And there were parts that were worse than others, okay? So in this case, because we're talking about being in torment in Hades, this really is equivalent to what we think of as hell. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot nor can those from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, But if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, now this is Abraham replying to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead, so we know that that is true. People are going to choose to do and believe what they want to do, right? Um. If you will not hear Jesus and believe in Jesus, then if someone else rises from the dead, that's not going to convince you either. But to answer our question, this is hell now, okay? Now, Hades is just that Greek name for the realm of the dead in Greek mythology, and it's the closest thing they had to what we would consider hell. Before the judgment day and the final death, This is hell. Jesus is explaining this in a way that they would understand. Just as he promised the thief paradise, and that paradise we believe is quite possibly a return to uh, like Abraham's bosom, like the garden or something nice like that, those who do not believe are promised hell. You know, physical death in this world is not the end. We will reap the rewards of our life. If we have sown love and mercy in our life, then we will receive love and mercy through Christ. If we have 
honored the Messiah, then he will honor us. So to answer our question, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? They will come to a bad end in hell, and they will suffer the second death. For this reason, I encourage everyone who hears this to come to the Lord Jesus. This is why we preach and teach and talk about the gospel and talk about the Lord. Now, wherever you are, He will come there to you. If you repent and call on the name of the Lord, pray and repent and go and be baptized. I'm sure there is a local church that would love to baptize you into the body of Christ. Now, Jesus says we have to be baptized, and Jesus set the example. Remember, he's our example. He himself was baptized. That's all you need to know about baptism. Jesus did it, and Jesus said we need to do it. All the other stuff that people say is just people talking and does not matter. What matters is what is in the Bible. And don't wait Do it today, just as soon as you can. It is very extremely important for the sake of your your soul and of your eternal life. So, I want to thank you for listening. I hope you have a wonderful day. May the Lord bless you and keep you safe. And remember, God loves you.